Hello, and welcome to A Course in Miracles for Regular People. I'm your host, Reverend Robin. In this podcast, we read and discuss the text of A Course in Miracles. I also have another podcast that is reading and discussing the daily workbook lessons. That one is called A Course in Miracles Daily Workbook Lessons for Regular People. I love talking with people about A Course in Miracles and the daily lessons, and I welcome interaction and feedback. There are several ways you can reach out to me if you'd like to chat. I'm on Twitter at ACIMFOR. I have a Facebook page called A Course in Miracles for Regular People. You can email me at ACIMFRP, that's A Course in Miracles for Regular People, ACIMFRP at gmail.com. Or you can simply go to anchor.fm and leave me a voice message. Actually, you can also make donations on Anchor if you'd like to support this podcast, and I really appreciate that. Now let's get started with today's episode. Hello, and welcome to episode number 90. We'll be continuing with chapter 4, Illusions of the Ego, and we will be starting section 6, The Rewards of God. And here are our takeaways from last week's episode. Number one, anxiety comes from the question that the ego hides from our mind. And that question is, where can I turn for protection? Number two, seeking blindly and desperately for something that we would not recognize is a pointless waste of time. Meaningful seeking is doing it on purpose by first asking what the situation is for. Once that is established, now we have a plan, a direction to go to achieve what we're wanting. And number three, one of the ego's favorite diversionary tactics to distract us from learning what we want to learn is to set up problems that really have no solution. All right, picking up at paragraph one. I've got a lot to say about a lot of the lines in this. So what I'm going to do first is I'm just going to read through the whole paragraph and then I'll go back and take it apart and speak to each part. So paragraph one, the ego does not recognize the real source of quote unquote threat. And if you associate yourself with the ego, you do not understand the situation as it is. Only your allegiance to it gives the ego any power over you. I have spoken of the ego as if it were a separate thing, acting on its own. This was necessary to persuade you that you cannot dismiss it lightly. And must realize how much of your thinking is ego-directed. We cannot safely let it go at that, however or you will regard yourself as necessarily conflicted as long as you are here, or as long as you believe that you are here. The ego is nothing more than a part of your belief about yourself. Your other life has continued without interruption and has been and always will be unaffected by your attempts to dissociate it. So, going back to the beginning, the first two lines. The ego does not recognize the real source of, quote, threat, unquote. And if you associate yourself with the ego, you do not understand the situation as it is. 
So the ego doesn't recognize the real source of threat. That means it doesn't understand the situation. So if we associate ourselves with the ego, we won't understand the situation either. Because we think we are the ego, we think what the ego thinks is real. We think we are our own authority. <clears throat> Continuing, only your allegiance to it gives the ego any power over you. So if we don't agree that the ego is real, we are free to know the truth. Back to the text. I have spoken of the ego as if it were a separate thing acting on its own. This was necessary to persuade you that you cannot dismiss it lightly and must realize how much of your thinking is ego-directed. So we can't lightly dismiss the ego, and we need to recognize how much of our thinking is directed by the ego. So the reason that Jesus had been speaking of the ego as a separate thing was to emphasize that it is not us. It's not the real, true self, capital S, that we are. The ego is actually the small s self, or what the Bible calls the carnal mind. It's the part of us that believes that it's separate from God. That is important so that we can learn to step back from our thought processes and observe our thoughts. And when we do that, we can begin to see the motives behind our thoughts and actions and learn to distinguish then between ego-directed thoughts and spirit-directed thoughts. So it's like I very frequently say, think about what you're thinking about. Why is that thought there? Where did it come from? Why did that thought appear in your mind? Back to the text. We cannot safely let it go at that, however, or you will regard yourself as necessarily conflicted as long as you're here or as long as you believe that you're here. So if Jesus just stopped at telling us that most of our thinking is ego-directed, then we'd probably just spend the rest of our lives fighting with our ego and trying to make it obey us with just willpower. Continuing, the ego is nothing more than a part of your belief about yourself. So the ego is not a separate entity. Neither is it actually a part of us. It's merely a part of our belief about ourselves. Continuing, your other life has continued without interruption and has been and always will be totally unaffected by your attempts to dissociate it. <clears throat> so when we decided to try out being individuals, we made up our ego and attempted to dissociate from our true selves and to pretend that the true self doesn't exist. But that doesn't matter at all to the true self because the true self continues. It, it exists and it continues to create with our creator as if or because nothing ever really happened. Paragraph two. I'll do the same thing here. I'll read it and then go back and take it apart. In learning to escape from illusions, 
Your debt to your brother is something you must never forget. It is the same debt that you owe to me. Whenever you act egotistically towards another, you're throwing away the graciousness of your indebtedness and the holy perception it would produce. The term holy can be used here because as you learn how much you are indebted to the whole sonship, which includes me, you come as close to knowledge as perception can. The gap is then so small that knowledge can easily flow across it and obliterate it forever. <clears throat> Starting back at the beginning of paragraph two. In learning to escape from illusions, your debt to your brother is something you must never forget. So in learning to escape from illusions, we made our illusions really good. So good, in fact, that we have to learn in order to escape from them. We have to learn that they are illusions in order to escape from them. And we made these illusions so powerful that we have forgotten the debt we owe our brothers. Back to the text. It is the same debt that you owe to me, to Jesus. So what is this debt? The debt of gratitude? The debt of love? The Bible says in Romans 13, 8, owe no one anything except to love them. So I didn't remember where that was, so I had to look it up. And when I found it, I read a few more verses. And in a version that's called the Passion Translation, it says, don't owe anything to anyone except your outstanding debt to continually love one another. For the one who learns to love has fulfilled every requirement of the law. Then verse 9, it said, For the commandments, do not, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet, and every other commandment can be summed up in these words. Love and value others the same way you love and value yourself. And then verse 10 said, Love makes it, possible, makes it impossible to harm another, so love fulfills all that the law requires. So I feel like that's a, a good explanation of what this debt is that we owe. Let's continue. Whenever you act egotistically toward another, you're throwing away the graciousness of your indebtedness and the holy perception it would produce. So when we act egotistically, we're acting from a place of believing in the separation, a place of fear or anger or retaliation, or even a place of seeing ourselves as better than or less than whoever we're comparing ourselves to. When we act that way, it's not acting in love. And when we act in any way other than love, we are then throwing away the graciousness of our indebtedness and the holy perception it would produce. So the graciousness of our indebtedness. Dictionary.com defines graciousness this way. The quality or state of being benevolent, courteous, and kind. So when we act benevolent, courteous, and kind, we're opening ourselves to holy perception. Continuing with the text. The term holy can be used here because as you learn how much you are indebted to the whole sonship, the whole 
sonship, which includes Jesus. We come as close to knowledge as perception can. So perceiving others from a perspective of graciousness is as close to true knowledge as perception can get. The gap is then so small that knowledge can easily flow across it and obliterate it forever. The gap between perception and knowledge is so small that knowledge can just completely obliterate perception forever because then we know it's no longer perceiving or thinking it's knowing well that's the first two paragraphs of section six the rewards of god and i think that it's enough for today so here are my takeaways from this episode number one The only reason we have any struggle with the ego at all is that we believe it's real. And when we believe it's real, we're giving our allegiance to it and that is what gives it power over us. Number two, the ego is not a separate entity, nor is it actually part of us. It's merely a part of our belief about ourselves. And number three, The graciousness of our indebtedness leads to the opening of our minds to holy perception. This week, I wish you a week of opening your minds to holy perception. Many blessings. Namaste. Namaste.